the 200 level episode 157 as of yet untitled because to be honest i couldn't think of a punny title here on this tuesday january 5th but there is plenty of news to talk about a lot of football we'll talk about basketball of course my start curbello crusade if you want to call it that but here's what's happened in the last 24 hours with illinois football busy 24 hours which started i think with james mccourt and blake hayes the specialists say they're coming back okay great news Keith Randolph, Jamal Woods, they're coming back too, in addition to all the guys last week that said they were coming back. You get your first high school commit, three-star running back out of Alabama, Josh McCray. You get your first transfer to come in from North Carolina State, a linebacker, Calvin Hart. So things are taking shape here. We do not know who the defensive coordinator is, but there are three finalists that came out in a football scoop article yesterday. I will read Jeremy Warner's article for Lana Inquirer about who these three finalists are. And suffice to say, all three of these guys are legit good defensive coordinators that would bring something to the table. So it seems as if as the staff comes together, as you get the coordinator settled, you're going to be feeling pretty good about where this thing is going. And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I had high expectations that Brett Bielema was, at a minimum, going to field a competent staff. It appears that's what's happening. But more encouraging, I think, is the sense of momentum that you get from the players themselves. And Jamal Woods today, as he's speaking to the media, basically told everyone that this was a sales job by Bielema to get him to come back, and he's on board. And he's not alone. You can tell that the offensive line guys and Brandon Peters, the specialist, they all recognize, in addition to wanting to finish things off right, come back and have a good senior year, they're coming back also because they know that they got a good coaching staff that will be there. And for all the upheaval and the, I would assume, craziness kind of behind the scenes last year of a team that just kind of lost interest, this is a far cry from that. It seems like there is a renewed focus over there north of Kirby Avenue at the Smith Performance Center. And as a football fan, as an Illini football fan, it is a weird place to be in that you feel comfortable handing the keys off to this coach, Brett Bielema, and that he's not going to screw this up. That doesn't mean it's going to work splendidly. That doesn't mean that he's going to turn us into a Big Ten champion, but it does feel as if the basement, the floor for this program has been raised immensely. Even if that means that we get stuck in mediocrity, you know what? Being stuck in mediocrity is a lot better than what Illinois football has normally been. So even with meager expectations, I feel as if this coaching staff will meet that. And it's been a good 72 hours, a good week, really, despite some guys deciding that they aren't going to come, despite Mookie Cooper saying that he's going to go to Missouri. That one does kind of sting. That was the bad news today so far. But overall, a lot of good news on the football front. We will, of course, talk Illinois basketball after the win against Purdue and a podcast that I hope you enjoyed because the first 20 minutes, I was pretty ticked off. If you want to go back and listen and maybe get a laugh out of it, by all means. And it's a lot easier to listen to something like that after you know that they won the game despite a 19-0 Purdue run. At the end of the day, there were frustrations in that game. It was ugly. It didn't make me feel any better about this team unlike, let's say, the Penn State game where you had basically 36 minutes of really good basketball, or the Indiana game where you might have had an ugly performance, but you gutted it out. That was a tough win against Indiana at home. An Indiana team that is kind of finding their way themselves. They'll probably be a tournament team when all is said and done. The Purdue game was not that, right? There were frustrations, and I think legitimate frustrations, but as time kind of passes and you look back on it with without all the Kool-Aid and without the orange-colored sunglasses, 
you realize that there were still some positive things out there, even in the midst of that messiness. So we'll get to that, including the Start Crebello Crusade, if you want to call it that, that I've been on. And I'm strongly in support of. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I don't want to become a hot take artist, but I really do believe that the best thing for this team is to start and finish with your best five on the court, and that includes Andre Crebello. We'll get to that later. I'll save you the, the dead horse beating early on, at least. Before we get into this, though, I want to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. Order online at dpdoe.com, and they will deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. And before you submit that order, remember, coupon code MIKE gets you $5 calzones, $6 premium and construction zones at dpdoe.com. They got custom zones with any toppings you want. They got favorites like the Maui Wowie and the Buffer Zone. Those were my go-tos back in college. Again, that's dpdoe.com. Coupon code MIKE for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. They got a coupon code. 200 level for 10% off your order. Get your new lucky shirt. Isaac may have found his. He's got the 89 flying Illini shirt that you can find at 4th and Kirby. And he wore that for the Purdue game. It might have been messy, but you know what? They got the win. He found his new lucky shirt. I got a rotation of lucky shirts, all from 4th and Kirby, including a crew neck sweatshirt that is particularly sharp. But go to 4thandkirby.com, coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at 4thandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. We worked with them when we moved to the new house. It was super easy, a seamless transition. Not that we expected anything less from Brian and his staff, but not only are they very friendly, they are super knowledgeable, and they're all local products. So they have your East Central Illinois interest at heart. They know what they're doing, and I kind of got to delegate insurance sort of stuff to the experts. They are experts. They'll take care of you. Brianismyguy.com. Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. I think those are the formalities. A quick reminder, if you go to Apple Podcasts or really, I think anywhere that you listen to podcasts, there is going to be some function to rate or review us. We continue to get the ratings and the reviews in. We appreciate all the feedback. That means a lot. Uh, even the negative ones we'll take. But the more ratings we get, the easier it is for Alani fans to find us when they search for Alani Podcast. So, Rate or review us wherever you may listen to us. And drop us a line on Twitter. I'm at Fanboy Carp, if you didn't already know that. And that will be the headquarters of the Start Crebello Crusade that I began on Saturday night. At least I began in earnest on Saturday night. Before we get into basketball, we're going to save that for the end. Wanted to talk a little bit about football. And I cautioned myself to start this podcast too early because I was afraid that by the time this would come out, we would know who the defensive coordinator is going to be for this staff. We do not know that yet, but there were three names that came out. And uh, I have an article here from Jeremy Warner from 24-7 Sports. Initially, the report came out from footballscoop.com about these three finalists, all of whom are very qualified. And this right here, report three potential DC candidates for Brett Bielema by Jeremy at Alana Inquirer. Footballscoop.com reports that Brett Bielema could be close to an announcement on a defensive coordinator and reports three specific candidates for the job. Wofford head coach Josh Conklin, Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, and Missouri defensive coordinator Ryan Walters. You heard that right, Missouri defensive coordinator. Football Scoop reports a decision on the position could come as soon as Tuesday. Go figure, probably as we're doing this podcast. A lot of inquirer was told on Sunday that a defensive coordinator hire would come early this week. 
Bielema, who was hired in mid-December to replace Lovey Smith, so far has announced three members of his staff, offensive coordinator Tony Peterson, offensive line coach Bart Miller, and strength and conditioning coach Tank Wright. Candidate possibility number one, Josh Conklin. Conklin, 40, is in his third year as head coach at Wofford. He's 17-9 overall with a 13-3 SoCon record, is that Southern Conference, and has made the NCAA FCS playoffs twice. In 2018, Wofford ranked 8th among 124 FCS teams in scoring defense and 12th in total defense. In 2019, they ranked 20th in total defense and 24th in scoring defense. Conklin previously served as an FBS defensive coordinator at Pittsburgh from 2015 to 17. Pitt compiled 111 sacks in three seasons. Let's do some quick math. Let's say 36 games a year. You're essentially looking at three sacks a game. That's pretty crazy. And Florida International from 2013 to 14 under former Illinois coach Ron Turner. There you go. Who was Illinois Athletics Director, uh, Athletic Director Josh Whitman's head coach when he played for the Illini. In his final season at FIU, Conklin was nominated for the Broyles Award given to the nation's top assistant coach. After the Panthers' defense finished in fumble, uh, in fumble recoveries nine, 19 is that first, sorry. After the Panthers' defense finished first in fumble recoveries at 19, second in defensive touchdowns, six, fourth in turnovers gained, 33, eighth in turnover margin, plus 11, and 35th in total defense. He has experience recruiting Florida and Pennsylvania. Conklin played linebacker at Dakota State. Okay, so real quick about this Conklin kid. I say kid, 40 years old, pretty young in terms of coaching, and already a head coach down at Wofford, and you see that he has some credentials as a defensive coordinator when he was in his early 30s, including at Florida International, which surprises me that Ron Turner, if anything, it looks like his strength down there was the defense. Go figure. But two years at Florida International, then three years at Pittsburgh before going to Wofford. Young guy, but I like the connections to Florida and Pennsylvania. I like the fact that his track record kind of speaks for itself defensively, both at the FBS and the FCS level. And kind of, you know, across the board, you look at a ACC gig in Pitt, you look at FIU, which I'm not sure what conference they're in, but more of a, you know, mid-tier FBS school, and then the FCS. So it's worked across the board. All right, candidate number two. Jim Knowles. Knowles, 55, has been a Power 5 defensive coordinator for the past 11 seasons, eight at Duke and three at Oklahoma State. The Philadelphia native was also the head coach at Cornell, his alma mater, from 2004 to 09, going 26 and 34 overall. This past season, Oklahoma State finished 45th in total defense and 35th in scoring defense. Big improvements from his first season when the Cowboys finished 112th in total defense and 97th in scoring defense. So they jumped up about 75 spots in total defense, and they jumped up about 60 spots in scoring. Mike Gundy hired him away from Dukes. David Cutcliffe, after Knowles, led the Blue Devils to the number 21 total defense and number 21 scoring defense in 2017. Knowles was also an assistant coach at Cornell, Western Michigan, and Ole Miss. He has three years of experience as a recruiting coordinator at Cornell and at Ole Miss. So that's number two. This is, again, Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. Improved their defense big time from year one to year two. Third possibility, perhaps the most intriguing, Ryan Walters. He's 34. He spent the uh, past six years as a defensive assistant at Missouri, five under Barry Odom, one under Aliyah Drinkwitz, who's doing a great job down there. He has spent all six years as a safeties defensive backs coach, two seasons as a co-defensive coordinator from 16 to 17, and three seasons as the defensive coordinator from 2018 to 20. 
This past season under Drinkwitz, Missouri finished 85th in scoring defense and 66th in total defense. In 2019, under former Missouri head coach Barry Odom, Walters led Missouri to the number 16 scoring defense and number 14 total defense. Walters also has experience recruiting the St. Louis area, which is expected to be a priority recruiting territory for Bielema. In 2018, Missouri finished number 50 in scoring defense. Walters is a Los Angeles native who played safety at Colorado from 2004 to 08, earning all Big 12 honors as a senior. This is the bottom line from Jeremy's article at Alana Inquirer. Any of these three reported candidates, a sitting FCS head coach and two sitting Power 5 defensive coordinators and more successful programs, would be a relative splash hire for Illinois. With a $5 million staff budget, Bielema certainly has the cash to sway such candidates. Now, I can't sit here and say that I necessarily have a preference in all this, but it is encouraging to feel as if any one of those three guys would work out. And as we see the rest of the staff get compiled, I think we're going to see two things. One, any of these defensive coordinators shores up the notion that you will have a competent defensive staff. And two, I think you will get a hire or two that has a distinctly Illini connection, which will maybe appease the fan base a little bit. Is it going to be Nathan Shieldhouse in some way, shape or form? Probably not. But I think that you will have that connection to the Illini past in position coaches, something like that. You mix that in with a lot of experience, and that I think will be the name of the game for this staff. There won't be a lot of guys getting their first opportunities as a position coach or a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. I'll take the veteran staff. I know it may not be as exciting to some as Chris Ash. That was the name that was coming out after this weekend when we saw that Texas moved on from Tom Herman, and then they're going to go with Steve Sarkeesian. And that would be exciting. Chris Ash has the Big Ten connection, but keep in mind, at Rutgers, he never figured it out as a head coach, and the defense wasn't particularly good either. I think the name recognition makes that maybe a sexier hire than it actually is. But as I look at these credentials here, and Jeremy did a great job at Alana Inquirer of really kind of digging into all three of those, and we'll find out. Again, we'll probably know by the time you listen to this podcast, knowing our luck, but it is very encouraging to feel as if due diligence was done and that with this staff pool, you're able to go out there and get someone that's already at a Power 5 gig. Or in the case of the Wofford coach, someone that had been at a Power 5 institution. You were not going out there on a limb and getting someone with their first shot at a defensive coordinating position. And that tells you that Brett Bielema still has some cachet, still has some respect in the coaching circles, and has some excitement going as well. Because why... Would you leave Missouri or Oklahoma State, two programs that are in far better shape right now than Illinois, if it wasn't for the fact that you believed Brett B. Loma will get this thing going? So that, I think, says quite a bit. And thinking back to the total clusters that have been previous coordinating hires. Now, Garrick McGee and Hardy Nickerson excited me and a lot of other people, understandably, because that had some sexiness to it. And it also felt like these guys, as recruiters especially, the sky's the limit. Well, that didn't work out. It failed miserably. Go back to Beckman, though. And that one might have been the worst. God, what was it? It was Beatty and Gonzalez were your co-offensive coordinators. And they one of them did first and second down. One of them did third down. Your defensive coordinator, that name actually escapes me. I... I must have blocked it out over time and because that was after Vic Koning had left and you brought in, God, whoever it was. But again, didn't work out, right? Yet went out and got Bill Cubitt in 2013. That worked out to a certain extent. But overall, coordinating hires at Illinois have not gone down all that well. So when I see that the pool of candidates that you have to choose from all have a long track record, 
and none of them are stretch hires, that alone is raising the bar. It may not be going out there and getting Lane Kiffin to call plays on offense, right? And why would he? I know that's an extreme example. But I think all too often at the start of any coaching tenure, the word sexy takes precedent over competence, proven commodity, right? We want that young up-and-comer, or we want the candidate that we think is going to be a head coach somewhere else in three, four years, because that's what good programs do. They turn it into a coaching tree, and they see their assistants go off to bigger and better things. Hey, that could still happen here. Tony Peterson could have a lot of success as offensive coordinator, and maybe he finally gets that opportunity as a head coach. But I think the trend we're seeing is they are going with the football lifers, the coordinator lifers, these guys that have been a few different places at the Power 5 level and had success already. Love it. That part is very, very encouraging, which is the word of the day. I keep saying encouraging, and if you think about Illini football and what it is like to be an Illini football fan, how often are we discouraged, whether it be with the hires that are made or their ultimate performance as a coordinator or position coach? It's always unfulfilled promise or unfulfilled potential. And the way this is shaping out, it seems to me like, hey, we're just going to run this the right way. We know how to run a college football program. You know that Brett Bielema does. And that the guys he's getting, they've also been in programs that have had a fairly consistent level of success. To me, what Barry Odom did in Missouri, I know it didn't last. I know Drinkwitz actually is probably going to be the guy down there for a long time. He seems to have, have it rolling. So the fact that this guy at Missouri who saw that success under Odom and now Drinkwitz is potentially okay with uprooting himself and his family to come coach under Bielema, that to me speaks volumes. Now, you couple that with returning guys. Jamal Woods, that is a big return for a defense that needs as much help as it can get. And he's probably not going to be the last one. Yeah, it hurts that Jake Hansen's not coming back. It hurts that Josh Amaterbebe is not coming back. There are a few other guys that decided they aren't going to come back, and I can't blame them, including Owen Carney. That would have been a big addition on the defensive line. But then you see, already they're going out there, getting a linebacker from North Carolina State who has three years of eligibility left. I think 55 tackles in a couple seasons, so he wasn't a starter, I don't think full-time there, but maybe worked his way into that role towards the end of this season in Calvin Hart. And you're seeing that this staff is not going to waste any time. We may not know for another, I don't know, two, three months what this opening week roster is going to look like, but in the interim, it's going to be kind of fun to see how the staff attacks high school recruiting, the transfer portal. In one day, we've already got an indication of both, where they get a three-star running back, they have plenty of Power 5 offers, Josh McCray out of Alabama. And then they get the transfer at North Carolina State, a linebacker that will probably be in the rotation immediately next year. And back to that McCray kid, this is from Armchair Illinois on Twitter, and I had to retweet this. Bielema got a kid with Power 5 offers in a matter of weeks, while Lovey made it seem like it was the equivalent of brain surgery. And that's essentially what it is. I don't want to do the whole kick a guy while he's down, even though I don't know how much Lovey Smith really cares anymore. I mean, he scrubbed the Twitter timeline and it's like he's a ghost. He's gone, right? It's like he wasn't even here. But it's okay to compare and contrast and see the difference in how this football program is going to operate under Bielema and how it operated under Lovey. There's no doubt that Lovey had some success in the transfer portal and there are some nice nuggets that he found in high school recruiting. But I think we're finding out as time is going on here that the idea that he left your football program and the roster specifically in better shape going into 2021 than what he inherited, that is without a whole lot of proof. There are nice pieces, right? But his bugaboo from the outset was being able to recruit good high school players that other Power 5 teams wanted. 
they don't have to all be diamonds in the rough. Josh McCray is not some sort of diamond in the rough. That guy's a legit three-star running back that could have went many other places. And just a few weeks into Bielema's tenure, he gets him to commit here. Now, it probably doesn't hurt all the running backs that Bielema could point to back when he was at Wisconsin and say, I coach these guys. And it's cool to know that we also have an identity of sorts before playing a single down that knowing what he did at Wisconsin and knowing what he did offensively at Arkansas, we will run the ball. We'll get running backs. We'll get offensive linemen. Now, it may not ever work out as splendidly as it did at Wisconsin for him or even another template that he has, which would be the Iowa program, but it doesn't have to, right? I love entering this thing with high expectations, but bearing in mind that my high expectations as an Illini fan are not the same high expectations a Wisconsin fan would have, that I can temper them and be plenty happy with the football season where when I go to lot 31, I'm hoping they go seven and five. Meanwhile, that would be kind of a ho-hum season up at Iowa. We say we want to get to Iowa's level, but before we do that, I'm happy to spend four or five years where we're just kind of bouncing in between six, seven wins once he gets his guys in here. Now, easier said than done, right? You taste success, and then when you flounder a little too much around mediocrity, you start getting impatient. If you look at the end of the Ron Zook era, I was first in line after they started 6-0, and and then that second half of the season went the way it did. I was first in line to say, we needed to make a move. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and people can say, well, how foolish were you, Carp? Come on. Ron Zook would have been the guy to keep. For a variety of reasons, I don't think he's the guy you keep, despite how bad Tim Beckman was. I think the firing and the hiring are separate entities. But there is a point to be made there that, yes, as Illini fans, we went 7-6 and six two years in a row, and that wasn't good enough. But I think that ignores the context. You know, you had Ron Zook having this wild success in year three, going to the Rose Bowl, and then not able to capitalize on that the next two seasons. And by that time, it was too late. Now, what if the same thing happens to Brett Bielema? What if he has one big year in year three or year four, and then he can't capitalize on that immediately? Kind of happened at Arkansas for him, where he had the 8-1 season, and then I think uh, five and four win season after that, something like that. So it's not like it can't happen here. It's not like I'm saying with certainty that Brett Bielema is 100% going to work out. You couldn't say that about anyone in Illinois. But I do think that his track record and the fact that the style in which he's going to run this thing would indicate there will be consistency, right? Consistent competence. I'll take that, right? That alone leads me to believe that there won't be those wild fluctuations. And frankly, I don't need him to win nine games in a year. I'd kind of, this is going to sound maybe crazy, but for me with Illinois football, I remember after the Sugar Bowl year thinking back in 2001, just go, I don't know, just go seven and four. You don't need to go 10 and one again in the regular season. Go seven and four. Again, meager expectations for a team that had a lot of guys coming back. Yes, not Kirk Kittner, but they had enough coming back to win some games that year. They go five and seven. I guess that was a 12 game schedule or after the Rose Bowl. I would have been plenty happy with seven and five, truly seven and five. And they go five and seven, right? So I don't necessarily want in year one or, I mean, of course I'll take it, but in year one, two or three, I don't know if I want people to have that sneaky, amazing season where all of a sudden we're going to the capital one bowl or something as the number two team out of the big 10 West. And then all of a sudden we have totally recalibrated what we expected this program. I would rather be the frog in warm water, right? All of a sudden you go from five wins to six wins to seven wins, and maybe you cap out at eight. 
but I don't need those once-in-a-lifetime seasons. I would much rather have consistently six, seven, and the occasional eight-win season. So I know that when I go to Lot 31 each and every fall, I'm going to be watching a decent product on the field. Give me decent, consistent competence. And we'll go with that. And if today was any indication, it's a step in the right direction. All right, that's football. We got a basketball game coming up on Thursday, so we'll be back with one of those second-half podcasts with Isaac and Trevor for a Northwestern game that I'm not really looking forward to because with Northwestern basketball, beating them is just, whew, okay, good. We didn't lose to freaking Northwestern. I know they're a rival and all of that. I know that Northwestern actually won a decent amount of games against you in the last decade. I'd have to go back and count, but there were even some games at home that you lost to Northwestern. In fact, if I recall, John Gross's first season, I think, when they made the tournament, Illinois still made the tournament, during that early Big Ten slump, they lost at home to Northwestern, I'm pretty sure. So what used to be a quote-unquote rivalry where you beat them every single time, there's that uncertainty now. Not like it has become with Penn State, where this sort of... I always dreaded playing Penn State in the 2010s because it seems like they beat Illinois more than 50% of the time. They actually kind of had Illinois' number. Northwestern probably statistically did not, but they beat you enough to keep you unsure, to make you uncertain entering those matchups. And Thursday is no exception, despite the fact that Thursday could also be one of those games where you beat them by like 20 points. You see what Michigan did Northwestern. That's two straight losses for Northwestern on the road, which... That's no surprise, losing on the road to Iowa, competing for, you know, 30 minutes of it, but still losing. And then Michigan smoking them. The losses are not surprising, but the manner in which they lost them tells me that Northwestern was, in fact, a fraud, for lack of a better term. But that doesn't mean that they are not capable of beating this Illinois team, especially when you know how idiosyncratic this Illinois team has been where you see these extended stretches, five-minute stretches, where not only are they not playing all that great, they're playing bad. Purdue should never have a 19-0 run against this Illinois team, right? They shouldn't. Now, you're good enough, and this is the good news, bad news. Bad news, 19-0 run. Good news, you're so good that you still won by eight. No big deal. And when you combine the opening four-minute stretches of each of those halves in the Purdue game, Purdue outscored you 23-6. to I said 23 to 4, but actually, I think the first time out in the first half, it was 9 to 6. That's not good. So let's start with this. My cause du jour. You need to start Andre Crabillo. Now, they won't. So why would I even broach this, right? Maybe I'm planting my flag. So if you have a bad start against Northwestern, I'll just sit back and say, told you so. Which is not usually my thing to do the whole told you so kind of thing, but To me, this one seems obvious, and it's a troubling trend, I find, where I feel like people are overthinking themselves or getting too cute when the answer is staring them right in the face. Put your best five out there, and right now, that does not include Adam Miller. And moreover, with Adam Miller, I understand that confidence may be an issue, that if you bench him, what kind of impact is that going to have on his game? I would argue that maybe we need to take a bit of the pressure off the kid. Let him just come off the bench, try to find his role as the energy guy, the scorer off the bench, kind of like Alan Griffin was for you last year. Because I'll tell you this, in the opening four-minute stretches of each half, you don't really have a point guard. Now, we can't play Andre Crabello 40 minutes a game. 
I get that. So Trent Frazier is going to have to run point. But to see each half start with Trent running point, trying to be a facilitator when that is not his natural role, it can be rough. We saw that half-court offense struggle mightily. And more than that, there's just a lack of energy on the court. And it's no individual's fault. But those five guys together, Io, Trent, Adam Miller, DeMonte, and Kofi, something isn't quite clicking with them. I don't know what it is. I don't know Brad Underwood knows what it is. I think in a way, we can look back at the Duke game, even the Rutgers game, and point to the starting five and say, they are capable of getting off to a good start. And they are. They could do that Thursday, and I guess I'd be eating crow. But I am worried that these five guys together lack really any sort of consistency, and it will bite you at some point. I was on Jeremy's podcast yesterday on the Illini Inquirer podcast, and we were talking about this thing, and Jeremy sees both sides of it. But he also argued that, you know, you're four and one. It hasn't really bitten you yet. And in fact, the one loss in the Big Ten, that starting five was not the issue. Again, you got off to a 10 to two lead at Rutgers. And then it became a tight game. And then Rutgers just had a much better second half. So yeah, that is true. It has yet to bite this Illinois basketball team. But my concern in this Big Ten race where the upper echelon of the Big Ten, we'd point to five teams, right? Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Rutgers. I'll keep Rutgers in there, even though they got a couple losses. That's the upper echelon. Those are the teams that will be vying for a Big Ten title. And yeah, each team is probably going to stub their toe at some point. But ultimately, the winner of this Big Ten title is going to be the team that stubs their toe the least. I want that to be Illinois. They already have the scheduling break. Michigan once. Is that right? I think Michigan once. And then you have Iowa once. Michigan State once. You already are done with Rutgers. Scheduling breaks that you can play to your advantage here. Couple that with not stubbing your toe in a game that you should not lose. And we're in the middle of this eight-game stretch where I said, if they go 8-0, I'll talk Big Ten title. Well, we're only three games through it, and they're 3-0. And yes, I'm back to talking Big Ten title. I think that was after I saw Wisconsin lose at home to Maryland and realized that could be the one that got away for them. That could be the game that that Wisconsin team, old as they are, good as they are, will be kicking themselves as they finish a game out of the Big Ten Championship. I don't want the same to happen to this Illinois team. I recognize that this Illinois team is still young enough with enough new pieces where they're trying to figure it out. And they're fortunate that the schedule gave them a bit of a break where they can play some of these more winnable games and try to turn themselves into a more cohesive unit, right? That is a scheduling advantage right there. But don't hinder yourself. Don't handicap yourself by continuing to trot out the same starting five that puts you in a hole. Purdue is bad. You are able to overcome a 19-0 Purdue run when Andre Corbello was off the court. Why chance it? Northwestern, as bad as they looked at Michigan and as sort of mediocre as they looked at Iowa, you know what? They are functional. They're competent. They're at home for whatever little that's worth. I'm not overly worried about this game, but it doesn't need to be tighter than it should be. And that seems to be the trend here, is that some of these games, and you know, the Indiana one, again, was more just kind of an ugly game, but the Penn State game, even though you really took control in that second half, why get down 19-4 to in the first place? Or the Purdue game, why bother with having to come back from a six-point deficit after you gave up a 19-0 run? Why bother with that? 
make it easy on yourself. I guess the silver lining in all that is this team is building character, I guess. They're finding out that they can win in a myriad of ways. That's a good thing. I don't dispute that. But it doesn't need to be that difficult against some of these teams. Now, when all's said and done and they get through this eight-game stretch, and let's say they keep this starting five, and let's say they get through this eight-game stretch and they're 8-0, or maybe they stub their toe once and they're 7-1, which will probably be okay for them to stay right in the thick of things. And maybe, yes, magically they figure everything out by the time Iowa comes to town January 29th. And man, am I counting the days to that? Because that, it's not looking ahead so much as just thinking that is going to be a moment. Sucks that we can't have fans in the stadium, but all of Illini Nation is going to be waking up that Friday morning with that pit in their stomach. Oh boy, this is a big one, right? And that's going to be really fun. But in order to make that all the more meaningful, you really got to make hay here. And I would be anxious to see what this team would look like if you start with Corbello on the court. His plus minus against Purdue, his plus minus, plus 26. That is an imperfect stat. It is. But we saw it, right, with our own eyes. It passed the eye test, it passes the sniff test, and it certainly passes the statistical analysis that when he's on the court, you are better. Recognizing that he cannot play 40 minutes a game, then ask yourself, what are the most meaningful stretches of any basketball game? And I would argue the first four minutes of each half. I'd also argue that this Illinois team would benefit from getting off to a strong start because you have a guy like Kofi, for example, who is very much a rhythm player. When he gets off to a good start, he can roll off and have a 24-point, 12-rebound game. But sometimes we see Kofi, he's got to warm up a bit. Well, what if we got us some easy dunks early? Because Andre Curbelo is facilitating, doing what Andre Curbelo does, and then you get Kofi in the game immediately. That is dangerous for the opponent. If Kofi is good Kofi for 30 minutes a night instead of just the last 15. What if you get Trent to hit a couple threes early in a game because he doesn't have to worry about facilitating the ball? You're turning Trent almost into a non-shooter, a non-scoring threat by saying, Trent, you're a point guard. Io, much of a closer as he is, not much of an opener. I actually struggle to think about how often is he really scoring in the early going of games? Now, he had a quiet 10 points in the first half against Purdue. I say quiet because before you know, you look up at the stat sheet, Io is doing his thing again. That's just how good he is. But in the opening four or five minutes of any game, he does seem to be one of those players that is trying to feel his way into it, get the other guys involved, make them feel good. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I just feel like the chemistry that you could establish immediately with Curbelo on the court running point, that is a dangerous mix for the other team. And it really puts Illinois in a position where they don't need to be playing catch-up. I think this team would play great with a lead. I really do. I know they didn't so much against Purdue when they went up 13. Purdue gets a late three before the first half ends. And then Purdue continues on to a 19-0 run. Who was not on the court for most of that time? Andre Curbelo. Is that coincidence? Probably not. Because as bad as Illinois' defense was in that stretch, their offense was even worse. So you got to have Corbello out there in key stretches of the game. And my argument would just be that the first four minutes and the second half's first four minutes, those are the key stretches. You get into March Madness, you cannot be trotting out the same starting five that you see right now if that's how they're going to look. You can't be going down consistently 10 to 4 and just saying, ah, it's okay, we always come back. Yeah, against the likes of Purdue and Penn State, 
sure, you come back. Indiana at home, you go down nine to one, same thing, you come back. Also, the argument, and I mentioned that Jeremy said this on the podcast yesterday, and I get it. You know, you're four and one in the conference. Why would you switch things up when you're winning games? But to me, that is very much like when you see on Twitter that there's an image of Mitch Trubisky and it gives you his win-loss record. And it's like, listen, I've seen enough of Mitch Trubisky to know that the win-loss record does not indicate what kind of quarterback he is. He ain't good. He just isn't. So don't try to convince me uh, to the contrary based on a win-loss record. Illinois has been facing a very favorable schedule. They should be 4-1. and one. And really, if they were great, they would have gotten that win at Rutgers too. But you know what? I'm okay with this team finding their way to greatness. But don't hamper yourselves by not starting Curbelo. That's my spiel. Hashtag start Curbelo if you want to go that way. I'm not going to say much on Thursday. I would love to eat crow for a night. In fact, I would love for this starting five to figure it out. That would be the easiest solution. Everything Underwood said, and Curbelo being the good teammate that he is, what he said as well, hey, I love coming off the bench. I like knowing what my job is and what I need to do when I get on the court. That's great. I, I believe that. I also understand the arguments for having him be that guy off the bench that really sparks the team, and it would only be all the more helpful if he comes in and Illinois is already leading, and then he can really take off, right? I get that argument. It's a 40-minute game. The first four do not dictate the final result. I just don't want to look at a game in this eight-game stretch, whether it be Maryland at home on Sunday, whether it be at Northwestern on Thursday, or at Nebraska, which I know they stink. But you know what? They have the ability at home to kind of hang in there with teams. They kind of did with Michigan State for a bit. I don't want to mess with that and find all of a sudden, oh my God, I was coming to town, but ugh, we're seven and three. No, be nine and one. You got a chance. So don't blow it. That's my big thing there. Um, that's the cause du jour, which I will probably be stringing along. And thank you for your patience with that because, you know, it's funny, the reactions I got too. There was this interesting Twitter interaction with Regina Jorge, who kind of looks like an avatar or something. But after just tweeting out that Andre Corbello should start, and then Jeremy said something else, and I said, hey, it seems like a simple fix. This, I, I think, I think a bot replied and said, another easy fix is to slick back your hair to hide your receding hairline as you approach a midlife crisis or something like that. I woke up on Sunday morning to see that, <laughs> to see that interaction. I'm like, oh my God, you know, armchair psychology here. I'm getting this person I don't even know talking about a midlife crisis when all I said was start Andre Curbelo. I didn't know that that was such a hot topic or controversial one. Besides, I don't have a receding hairline. It's called a widow's peak, which runs in the family. It's a hereditary thing where you get those little kind of like Eddie Munster thing where your forehead kind of goes up a little bit. Yeah, I was shook. All of a sudden, I have an existential crisis because of Regina Jorge, uh, who I guess is kind of going around and getting into these Twitter spats with Illini fans. Hey, I'm just saying, your, your best starting five, put them out there. We got an exciting stretch coming up here after the Northwestern and the Maryland games with this team. Uh, just to kind of recap what this team's schedule looks like. Northwestern, I think you get the win. And in fact, I actually think you find a way to a comfortable win at Northwestern. Maryland at home on Sunday and then at Nebraska next Wednesday. You got to go 3-0 in that stretch to set up what is a pretty big game at home against Ohio State next Saturday. And Ohio State, they're playing good right now. 
um, apart from a loss in Minnesota where they did not look good at all. And how about that? You have a quality win that you didn't even know it when it happened, but Illinois beating Minnesota 92 to 65. And meanwhile, Minnesota's in the top 15. That's pretty crazy. But yeah, Ohio State on January 16th, just get to that game by winning the next three. At that point, you would be one, two, three, four. You'd be seven and one in the Big Ten. And that'd be a major matchup there. That's a noon start on the 16th. And then Penn State at home on the 20th before you go on the road Saturday, January 23rd to Michigan State. And then you get six days off before you play Iowa. So it's coming up quick, right? These games will go by very fast. This season is going to go by way too quick. I think one final point, and as I was tweeting with Jeremy back and forth a little bit on Saturday during the game, listen, we had fun in the podcast. We were angry, but not really. In other words, it's the kind of fun that you have when you're watching a game with friends. And when things are going well, you just kind of let the rage flow through you, but you're kind of laughing about it all the way. Now, if Illinois had lost, if I genuinely thought as Purdue goes on a 19-0 run that Illinois was going to lose, it probably wouldn't have been as lighthearted of a roasting as it was, but I think we all kind of knew that Illinois is going to win this game. It's just not going to feel all that great, and that's exactly what happened, but I will say this. I don't want it to be confused that I'm not enjoying this, right? So when I get all pissy about a 19-0 run, I'm still enjoying the fact that we're watching relevant Illinois basketball. And to me, this ability to go micro and this ability to pinpoint the flaws on this team, however small they may be or however glaring they may be, it tells us that there is a relevancy to this basketball program that we have not had in a while. And I'm embracing that. There's some frustration that comes with it, but that frustration is actually kind of refreshing. That frustration tells me that I have skin in the game. I'm invested emotionally. I so badly want this team to accomplish things. I so badly want to be able to say, yep, I remember the 2021 Big Ten champions. And to know that it's attainable. Maybe you aren't the favorite, but I would argue when you come out number four in the net ranking, number seven in Ken Palm, 12 in the AP, you put all those things together and that tells me, hey, I know we're seeing the flaws, but other people are looking at this team and saying, they're really damn good. We know that too, right? As Illini fans, we know that, but I think it's a natural reaction to proceed with caution or to say, see, this, these guys can't make their free throws, too many turnovers, too many flaws, right? And that's, that's a fair argument right now, but they're overcoming those. So here's the scary thing, right? They just fix some of these issues or just get a little bit better at each of them. They are as dangerous as anyone in the Big Ten. There was a Twitter account, I think, at Big Ten Geek, that said this Illinois team is the most talented team in the Big Ten. And I would agree with that. They have the highest ceiling. They have three star players, legitimate star players. I'm throwing Andre Crubello in there because there's no other point guard in the Big Ten that I would take over him. And you might say, Carp, that's ridiculous. But I'm sorry, I'm not taking Demetric Trice over this kid. Yeah, he's a fan favorite. I get it. We already have this attachment to Andre Crubello. We get to watch him for four years. Fingers crossed he stays here for four years. He's special. Io obviously is special. And Kofi is starting to look like good Kofi from last year. And a little bit more tools in his tool basket. Is it a tool basket? Tool bucket? I don't even know. Toolbox. That's what I'm looking for. Tool basket. Good Lord. <laughs> you can tell I'm not a handyman per se. But the fact that he's adding that little hook shot, 
He's looking more comfortable around the rim, certainly than he did a month ago. Kofi is really coming into his own. All of these are reasons to think that, wait a second, Illinois' top three guys, I'll put them up against the top three of any other Big Ten team. And in basketball, sometimes that can be enough. But it just comes down to, okay, a guy like Adam Miller, can he find a consistent role? Give me consistency, Adam. I don't need 20-point games. I could use eight, eight, nine, 10-point games, which he's fully capable of. Trent, love what you do defensively. But offensively, find that consistency. We can't have more offers from him from the field. He's a senior. He has got to be making open threes consistently. I don't want the five three-point game followed by an offer from a senior. You cannot have that if you're going to find your way to a Big Ten title and everything else that you want. Georgie, I think he had an offer as far as offensive production goes, but defensively, still disruptive. He's doing some things that you like. He is finding his niche on this team, and you kind of know what you get from him, and that's a good thing to have. The wild card in all this is the four spot, which DeMonte, hey, he's doing his thing, and I guess technically he is the four defensively when he start games off. DeMonte's been incredible. Love that guy. Don't we all? But Coleman Hawkins, Jacob Grandison, which one? As we said on Saturday night, if it's a toss-up, go with Hawkins. Go with Hawkins. He makes a three. He's disruptive on defense. He's 6'10". I think with his arm span, he's basically like a seven-foot player. Great athleticism. Go with the kid. And you know that the coaching staff likes him. I think it's just a matter of getting his feet wet and figuring out how can you play Coleman Hawkins' significant minutes in games that are meaningful. And that will be an interesting litmus test over the next four or five games. All of them winnable. And you can afford to put Coleman Hawkins out there for five minutes a game and see if he can't grow into a role by the time you reach that stretch in late January, early February. But all I'm asking for the guys not named Io, Kofi, and Corbello, find a consistent role. Consistency. Don't need any of them to be stars. And you know they're all capable of having big games, especially Adam Miller, Trent Frazier, big games offensively. And actually, I mentioned it, Georgie offensively has been so much better this year, and I'm thinking that he could have one of those games, probably not the 30-plus points like he did against Rutgers two years ago, but he could go out there and have a 15-point night, kind of like he did was against Baylor. And he was great against Duke as well. So you have the tools in your bucket or your basket, as I so (laughs) stupidly said a few minutes ago, to get this thing done. I'm going to enjoy the ride. There's going to be frustrations, but I don't want those frustrations to be misinterpreted. Those frustrations are because this team is really good and they can do it. They can do some things. And I don't want to find ourselves in April thinking, yeah, that was okay. I want to find ourselves in April thinking that was special. All right, that is it for today's episode. A reminder, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you can get custom zones, any toppings that you want. You could also get one of their favorites, Maui Wowie Buffer Zone. Those were my two go-tos back in college. And again, as we get in this cold weather and it's nasty outside, you want to stay inside watching whatever you're streaming on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whatever, let them bring a piping high calzone to your door. You don't need to go anywhere. dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. Get your lucky shirt 
in time for the rest of this Illinois basketball season at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, renters, business, you name it, all that stuff. And I can vouch for the amazing service that you get from Brian and his staff. That's brianismyguy.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, a reminder to rate and review us wherever you listen to us. Subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. I'm on Twitter at Fanboy Carp. And finally, if you're interested in any of this music you hear, the intro or the outro, it's from my band Decadence. That's right. We're on Apple Music, Spotify. Our latest album is called Fever Dreams. The intro song is called Wasted Time. And the outro you're hearing right now, Out of Your Head. Decadence, Fever Dreams. Download it. Enjoy it, rock and roll fans. Okay, we'll see you Thursday night, Illinois Northwestern. Me, Trevor, Isaac, we're going to have some fun as long as they don't lose. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you Thursday. It is the 200 level. Please.